0: This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange.
1: Hi, everybody. In an era where algorithm-fueled robots move in and out of equity positions with the shortest of imaginable investment horizons, and where indexers lay their money down heedless of stock-specific fundamentals, It is perhaps ironic that, more and more, these very sorts of investors are among those leading a rising chorus of demand for detailed, long-term information about individual corporate strategy and sustainability. On today's Ticker podcast, we'll hear from a man who's determined to make the long-term plan... A regular part of the IR conversation.
2: We want this to fit in the normal cadence of shareholder and company communication. Mark
1: Thule and the Strategic Investor Initiative. Plus, later on, we'll meet IPRIO Director Brian Matt. As index funds continue to pressure issuers on social responsibility... An iPrio analysis shows one segment of the ESG space consistently attracts the most shareholder support come proxy season. We'll find out which one. But our conversation doesn't end there. We'll look at all sorts of trends, from the shifting long-term investment outlook. So investors such as a BlackRock
0: or the longer-term investors are always looking to focus companies on the same time horizon that they have
1: to what IROs can expect at this year's proxy season. Really
0: the biggest move in uh, voting overall is the drive-for-board diversity.
1: Stick around. We go deep. And wide. As the billionaire leader of the world's most ginormous investment manager, BlackRock's Larry Fink thinks profits are paramount to everything a company does. So far, so good. But to generate that profit, Fink thinks companies need two basic qualities, a long-term focus and a genuine social purpose. Last year, he called on corporations to play an active role in improving the environment, their communities, and to boost the diversity of their workforces, which is, you know, a little out there. Here's what he told CNBC last year at Davos.
2: I believe the the involvement in a community to have a purpose is vital for long-term survivability, but long-term profitability. And our hope is that we, we are leading that effort towards having more engagement throughout the year with more companies to try to produce better long-term outcomes on behalf of our investors.
1: It's unclear how keenly Larry and other like-minded institutional investors will enforce this whole purpose and profit sustainability thing. But let's say it catches on. There's a problem. Our entire shareholder communication system is ruled by quarterly cycles. If only there were a purpose-built way for companies to deliver their long-term value creation story. Well, now, there is. BlackRock is just one of a slew of corporate and Wall Street heavyweights behind an organization called the Strategic Investor Initiative, representing over $15 trillion in assets under management, the SII aims to fundamentally change the conversation between CEOs, boards of directors, and investors, from merely short-term profits to sustained long-term corporate performance. And one way it's doing that is by convening CEO investor forums designed specially to discuss material information that extends beyond quarterly earnings calls which seemed like one of the pretty biggest subversive deals I'd never heard of. So SII director Mark Toule dropped by the post to explain how his radical scheme came to be, and just exactly why and how IR teams can add the long-term plan to their communications toolkit. In partial answer to the first question, as we'll find out, was a round of moneyed finger-pointing and a general unease about the city of
2: Sacramento. What what we're we're trying to do very simply is bring long term investors together with long term focused CEOs. When we when we asked our two hundred CEOs a year ago, what keeps them up at night, and they said eighty six percent of them said their main concern was the excessive short termism in the capital markets and CEO kind You're of actions. So the no CEOs kidding. felt that, and then. Larry Fing from BlackRock calls calls what we're doing now quarterly earnings hysteria. So you've got those two things married. And so we came together two years ago. And uh, it was a great quote from... And the head of CalPERS was there. The head of the New York Stock Exchange was there at the time. And um, McKinsey, who, of course, has all the answers to everything on the planet. And uh, there were two other panelists. And Ann uh, Sospil turned to the audience and said, of largely white males, and said, uh, you guys are too short-term focused and we all own a piece of you. And you need to change. And the CEO stood up and said, no, the problem is with you. Investors, you're too short-term focused. So there was this finger pointing. And Anne said, uh, why doesn't everyone come down to to Sacramento and give their long-term plans for sustainable value creation. And everyone said, everyone was kicking each other on the table saying, please don't send me to Sacramento to have to do that. So uh, the idea was to create this in in New York. Nothing's wrong with Sacramento, by the way. So So that's how how it was born. That was the impetus for this, which is very simply, it's like... When I went to business school, we learned all about the importance of black shows models and quarterly earnings calls, and there's a great system in place for that that has gotten out of, way out of balance, way out of a skew. So what we really need is to kind of counterbalance that. With It's like we've got this book, and we've come to the last chapter of the book about evaluating a company's uh, long-term value creation and someone's ripped out the chapter of it. So how are we to figure out what a company's long-term value is if we don't have information on their long-term plans? Are we just supposed to guess about that? What has been the
1: catalyst for that? Is it the passive funds that are now just so giant?
2: That's it's right. I, th- I think there's been a reawakening, a reemergence, reinvigoration of... A passive investor who no longer can't walk with their feet so how are they going to uh, affect change and they want to hold forever because you know they're in the index they can't get out of the index but they can vote with their proxy and they're getting much more uh, engaged and they want to hear they're really driving this because just they have 1,000 meet van has 1,000 meetings with investors it's a very inefficient process now with IR folks, and it's not their fault, but they've got, we've got investor days, we've got quarterly earnings calls, and both those are very important. Um, but what's missing is the long-term vision, the long-term strategy, the long-term outlooks, and we don't have to own that, we just want to operationalize it. We don't want this to be an extra layer of burden for companies, we want it to be Something that is advantageous to them and something advantageous to long-term investors. So we bring, rather than have one to many, we do many to many. Being, we bring thirty CEOs together with uh, over a thousand institutional investors to tell their long-term story. So we want it to be more efficient uh, way of communicating long-term plans. Plus, we want to add some dimension to it. You know, what, what really constitutes a good long-term plan? You don't want to give away your trade secrets. You don't want to give away your proprietary information. So, but there's something we need to know that, we're, that the market is not getting right now. And so that's what we've come up with. We've come up with a, uh, a plan and a framework uh, and driving this is really uh, Larry Fink in a lot of ways, and Alex Gorsky, who CEO of Johnson and Johnson, who are our co-chairs. So they're they're the driving force behind what we're trying to do, and we're trying to make this voluntary, not you know uh, mandated, because we think the private markets can figure this out better than reg- regulation. And if you see what's happening in the world with millennials and, you know, this whole new wave of engagement, um, this in a lot of ways can be an airbag for companies that um, are fighting with activist investors right now, because that's what's keeping them awake at night as well, right? Figuring out, you know, the activist investor who's going to come over and you know, uh, try to change the board or try to change the CEO. And activist investors are like cholesterol. There's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol. So the ones that win are usually the ones that can tell their better long-term story. And the ones that get crushed are usually the ones that fail to do so. In this, in this
1: new era, then, who would be the actual losers? I, I went to this. I guess, uh, obviously, short-term
2: traders, I suppose, but or, or would it be like high-frequency traders? Or? I think. I think so. I was with. Uh, I was with. Uh, it also depends on what you think about long-term. I was with uh, an investor uh, investment firm that's quite large the other day, and they said, uh, "We're not. We're not short-term. We uh, trade daily. So okay. we're talking three to seven years out. You know, long-term means long-term." it doesn't mean 3 hours so so i think the the game changer is the activist investors who have an outside influence and the high frequency traders that have an outside interest you know they own very small portions of the stock but they have a disproportional impact on the kind of the noise out there and so we want we want to improve the signal to noise ratio and Get that long-term story out there. And not our story, but ours is a conduit for harnessing all these investors out here who said, who say we find very little value in quarterly earnings calls. How do you communicate uh, that long-term value? And uh,
1: you had a forum a couple of weeks ago, and you're having another one in January?
2: February. February? What's for the takeaway 25th. from those?
1: What are the, how, do, how do they...
2: So this falls under the no good, good deed goes unpunished. So we got to 30, and our um, leaders, which I applaud them for being a little facetious here, uh, said, well, what good does this do? Let's get to 3,000. How are we going to get to 3,000? So that's a critical mass. So we're trying to figure this. We want this to become the new normal, and every single company that's publicly traded to enhance the uh, capital markets to strengthen it it's like a stress test in a way of, of, of kind of a company's if a company can't tell its long term plans effectively and articulately better than an activist investor then they've got problems so this stress test needs to put into, be put into place and so we're looking at various ways to scale this up so that it's Every company has to present their long-term plan voluntarily uh, through investor demand for these long-term plans, and we have all these areas for excellence. And you know what determines a good long-term plan? All this. Can we talk about all this again? research? Sure. We don't have to do it exhaustively, but like,
1: what are what would you be like concentrating on? What sorts of themes are? do investors want to hear
2: about? It? Well we just heard we just released research with the Harvard Business School and KKS Research Advisors that shows that these plans are economically significant, that they impact the stock price and they impact trading value, volume. And so the categories are financial performance, capital allocation, trends, competitive positioning risk and opportunities, corporate governance, corporate purpose, human capital, and long-term value creation. So these aren't big, hairy, scary things. These are things that really matter not just to um, investors, but to the employees of these firms. One time, there were two companies that had half their employees listen in to their CEO presentations. Because the magic behind this is... How often do you have your CEO talk about sustainability factors or climate change, not in the context of what's good for the world, but what's good for our business? Now, that's the that's a switch there. That's the magic. That's the missing chapter I referred to earlier, is how we can complete the the full tapestry of information that... Investors need to know, and they're not getting now. Just spitballing here, it's going to change the the kind of the job
1: uh, uh, skill set for IROs. Um, There's kind of a move you may have heard right now for a lot of Wall Street analysts who don't have jobs anymore to become IROs uh, with corporates uh, and moving up these sort of traditional communications marketing kind of background. So there may be a new background moving back from that. Quarterly analyst, the analyst who's just concerned with quarterly calls, to someone who's more of a communicator who
2: uh, has that background that IR people had originally. You're right, that's very. A lot of this has been lost in translation. The mo- f- one of my favorite movies, but uh, what I think what will happen is the this will get beyond silos because right now it's kind of siloed. There's Every quarter, these earnings calls go on, but with these long-term plans, an IR folk uh, executive would have to speak with their communications, like you mentioned, but also their sustainability team, because the CEO needs to be briefed in ESG through the lens of IR expertise. So it's a real enriching new job experience. For me, I think it's, it'll, it'll be kind of a renaissance and, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, it will transform the jobs of IR to kind of expand their purview and impact and uh, opportunities for getting the long-term sticky investors that that just are so coveted but so squeezed out of the conversation because there's not enough bandwidth. I I mean, what's the bottom line
1: for IR people
2: when they when they hear about this?
1: Um, how if can you they, want to, how can they sort of be part of it?
2: Very simply, uh, you can attend CEO Investor Forums. We've had five of them, and there's no cost to attend. Um, and there's no cost for your CEO to participate in these forums. These are funded by, right now, by foundations and exactly. and investors that want to see this kind of change. And I think you have to really look at your job description. One thing that surprises me is how much more, so how much turnover there is in in IR professionals. Right. And I'm not an IR expert, so I'm. I hope they burn I'm not, out. What? They burn out. So, what if you could go home to your kids and your grandkids and tell them that, you know, you really changed the way that capital markets run, that you brought Main Street together with Wall Street and the C-suite, and you have that power to do so, and there's not much downside.
1: Mark Tuley, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for joining us on The Ticker.
2: Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, the sound of global investor relations.
1: The number of shareholder proposals in the environmental space has fallen precipitously in recent years. 2016 saw 83 proposals. Last year, only 52 reached the ballot. But research by IPRIO suggests that data considerably understates the real impact of shareholders on corporate environmental policy. It shows the number of proposals submitted and later withdrawn especially those dealing with sustainability reporting and toxic emissions reductions, is substantial. Brian Matt is IPRIO's Director and Global Head of Strategy and Innovation. That means, among other things, that he's an expert on proxy voting trends. I wanted to know more about what he thought about how a shift to long-term investment horizons is affecting proxy voting. Just a few moments ago, I said goodbye to uh, Mark Thule, who runs the Strategic Investor Initiative. Strategic Investor Initiative. Yeah. Okay. You've never heard of that, eh? I haven't, no. Uh, That's amazing. The name sounds familiar. Nobody's heard of it. They've got uh, a bunch of the uh, big indexers behind them, BlackRock and stuff. They are uh, trying to be the engine that changes capital markets from short-term to long-term. That's a big lift. Yeah, it will yeah. not be easy. The guy seems pretty competent. but a lot of people agree
0: with that concept. Uh, the, the investors, such as a BlackRock or, or the longer-term investors, um, are always looking to focus um, companies on the same time horizon that they have. Which, of course, for BlackRock, may be forever for Vanguard or for SSGA, pretty similar. But even some of the larger investors have that same type of time horizon. They want companies to manage for that same type of time horizon as well. So it's certainly understandable to uh, uh, for some of those longer-term investors to, uh, to want to push disclosures to something with a, a longer cadence
1: and something that allows management to invest for the long term. Along those lines, yeah. uh, you just did a study voting trends in uh, the environmental shareholder proposal space in the E of the ESG. What's the bottom line there? Uh, I mean,
0: several of the larger investors, um, uh, we saw a swing this year uh, away from the abstain vote to the support a shareholder proposal vote uh, that I think was unique to uh, this year versus other years in the past. We do see certain types of proposals uh, really starting to attract more attention. You know, uh, political proposals, uh, proposals for disclosure of, uh, disclosure of lobbying uh, or disclosure of political contributions uh, are something that investors now have built into their policies a bit more. And then, of course, across the environmental social space, I think the most common of those has been uh, the disclosure of um, scenarios around climate change. Um, That was the proposal that passed at Exxon, I believe it was two years back, uh, and then produced a lot of follow-on proposals for other companies uh, to suggest that the company should include in its sustainability disclosures what's a, I think that the standard is, uh, what's the company going to look like given a two-degree rise in climate over the long term. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is the type of thing that has attracted votes from large investors, and it is the type of thing that many companies should be thinking about when it comes to those long-term risks for the investors that have that same type of long-term horizon.
1: This is definitely, I think, you know, I say this a lot, but I really do think we're at sort of a, um, well, like, like kind of a turning point in the market and in society. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, the switch from capital markets, maybe from a short term to long term uh, view and all these sort of communications adjustments that have to go along with that um, are going to happen really quick. Mm. And I think when you have guys like BlackRock, and even Neary came out with a statement, of earlier this summer about that. And I like what what you said that uh, you know people like BlackRock are are kind of more powerful than um, yeah now more powerful than even the proxy advisors. Well, it's I mean
0: head to head comparison uh, you know you could it would depend on the shareholder base, but. Uh the fact that uh, BlackRock, SSGA, and Vanguard have invested so much in their stewardship teams, and the fact that they've gathered so many new assets over the time. They're a much larger piece of the market. It's not uncommon to see those three investors own 20, 25, 30% of a company. That may be getting to the point where that swings more of a vote just based on those three managers uh, and the way they see a company from an ESG perspective than uh, any of the, the the pure ISS followers or Glassdoor's followers. I'd say they're certainly coming up on almost as influential at this point, and they're certainly doing the work. Um, I think BlackRock has already said they plan to double the size of their uh, stewardship team over the next couple of years. Uh, Vanguard hired a whole slew of people for their team this year. SSGA has been at this for quite a while. But as passive assets um, win in the market relative to active assets, they're going to need uh, an effective stewardship team to make sure that they work with um, each of their asset owners effectively. You think of Calpers, Calsters, yeah. all those. You know, they would see this. Uh, BlackRock, uh, uh, Vanguard, and, uh, uh, SSGA would see this as a front office initiative. They win business from asset owners, um, sometimes partially because of the way they conduct investor stewardship uh, and the fact that they're doing their own active work and not simply outsourcing it to someone else, but actually doing the, the going through the math themselves. That, that
1: seems to be a pretty powerful tailwind to consider. With active versus passive, yeah. This is going to change things. And they do have the oomph behind them to change. But you said that's a heavy lift.
0: Oh, it's still a heavy lift when it comes to
1: communications. Um,
0: You know, companies have thought in quarterly terms for so long. Um, Every time you're reporting quarterly in the first place, that filters down through the rest of the organization. I think there are companies that uh, will always believe they're not going to maybe handle volatility or handle... uh, the, the just the, the take-up of the, the company's story around an earnings release unless they guide very closely to what's going to be on that earnings release. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will always be managers, especially with smaller companies. Um, you know, Imagine being a company just covered by two or three analysts. Uh, you could certainly see a reason why uh, managing consensus and, and really trying to guide those few analysts toward a, uh, a tighter view of consensus could make sense for companies. There's also companies that are just tougher to understand than others. Um, I always like to use retail as an example, where retail is one of those industries where there are some retailers don't even use non-GAAP uh, metrics in the first place. Uh, it's simply an income statement. It's revenue. It's cost of goods sold, and it's a profit below that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fairly easy industry to understand. There's certainly industries that are a lot more complicated than that, and um, maybe do require a bit more work from, uh, from analysts covered, from the buy side and from the IR teams themselves. To be able to help the street understand uh,
1: how companies are expected to perform, too. Getting back to the IR, yeah, you know what it means for the IROs weekend or just his job. When you speak to IROs, are they, do they have a sense of this, or are they, you know, do they are they getting it from the market that the market wants to hear long term or? Uh, again, it's it's going to come down to the time
0: horizon and the visibility for the company. Um, someone that's investing over a five to a ten year life cycle, uh, Dodge and Cox, for example, has a very long term holding period. Barrow Hanley uh, is hoping to hold stocks for a very long time, collect large dividend payments, and uh, see the company maybe as a total return story. That's the type of investor that wants to know more about what the company looks like three years out or five years out than um, you know maybe a more shorter term uh, investor that's looking to make a play for just this quarter. Um, there's, you know, depending on the amount of, of contact they have with the street and depending on the amount of time they have with uh, with both short-term and long-term investors, you could see both answers. I would say, uh, you know, companies in general would like to see if they're going to make one set of long-term disclosures, if they're going to guide to, um, this is my long-term view of, I think I can grow the company at this type of range over the next five years, um, barring all other things. I think this is the, uh, the evolution that we're going to see of our cost structure. This is the evolution that we're going to see geographically. Those are the type of things that that they can talk about in general terms to a longer-term investor.
1: And I think they like talking about those. Segwaying into corporate governance. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Proxy proposals. Can we just review what we learned last year and uh, what we can expect next year and say something about how IROs should be approaching it? Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, for last year into this
0: year, uh, really the biggest move in uh, voting overall was the drive-for-board diversity. I think we can see a statue right outside this building uh, that has something to do with the drive-for-board diversity. Um, SSGA has driven that. This year, uh, Glass-Lewis. Moves over to its voting standard for 2019.
1: Sorry, back up. Is it outside this building, The Girl? Uh, Fearless Girl,
0: yes. Remember, it was over, I missed it. Yeah, it. It was, was over the across bowl. from the bowl. Yeah. And then I believe today, although I, I'm not sure, I didn't walk by it on the way here, but Fearless Girl was moved over in front of the NYC. Oh, okay. Uh, again, to make a statement that no. uh, uh, NYC and its companies, and really uh, hopefully most of the market, supports a diverse boardroom. Um, so Glass-Lewis moves its standard over in 2019 to um, a no vote for the head of the Nomgov governor Committee if you don't have a gender-diverse board. ISS will follow in 2020, but SSGA has already been voting this way uh, 2017 into uh, 2018 as well. Both Vanguard and uh, and BlackRock picked up on this for 2018 and have been engaging with companies, encouraging them, and in BlackRock's case, encouraging companies to hire two female board members. Um, so that's really been what's moved the most over the last couple years. If investors uh, disagree with something uh, that we're doing from a governance perspective or environmental social perspective, the engagement process is really what's changed over the last few years. Remember I talked about BlackRock and its team, uh, Vanguard and its team, Fidelity's team, uh, any of those large investors have become much more open to engaging directly with issuers. Uh, In some cases, issuers have been uh, much more open to bringing directors into uh, those conversations and uh, having a lot more open discussion, not just when the proxy is filed but also in the off-season as well, uh, as they're starting to look at uh, what's going to be on their proxy for next year, uh, as well as what investors are thinking about for what's going to be on their voting policies for next year. So a lot of that engagement takes place in the off-season, October, November, sometimes December, right now. How does the IRO implicate themselves in that? Depends. Some companies, that's the IRO's job they've always been the one that faces the voting decision makers as well as the investment decision makers In some companies um, that's been entirely the corporate secretary's responsibility and has never touched on all of it. In some cases it's both and they have to work together so that's something that's really company to company um, however the demand for and again uh, maybe based on the concentration of uh, shareholder basis, more larger shareholders owning a larger piece of the company um, really does lead management and you know in some cases, directors, IR, and corporate secretary, uh, to want to have those engagements more often, make sure their larger shareholders understand their side of the story.
1: Yeah. The uh, the phrase silo comes up a lot in these conversations, and convergence, yeah. uh, corporate comms, and corporate secretary, and C-suite, and the IR department, yeah. with the all these issues, somebody has to end up as a point man, or at least somebody to to sort of you know be the magnet for for yeah. all this data that's coming in, and then. Spewing it back up to the market, I, presumably IROs want to do that job, and I guess they're the best position to do that. Um. They're certainly the ones that have been speaking to investors uh, for
0: the longest. You know, corporate secretary general counsel has always come from a uh, from a legal perspective, and uh, viewing things in terms of risks is part of their day job. Um, so you can certainly see the uh, you know, the possible meshing of those two roles as uh, producing something better. Uh, one plus one equals three when it comes to working with both the risk side uh, from uh, corporate legal and uh, the investor relations team that's used to uh, seeing a benefit from telling their side of the investment story.
1: Segueing back to uh, uh, the proxy season last year yeah. and, and the issues. So just to kind of wrap up, okay. um, diversity. Or diversity number one for
0: this most recent year, and it will continue into the next year. From there, environmental social issues will continue. There are plenty of uh, shareholder proposals that receive strong support Uh, you will see governance proposals uh, continue. We did see a number of governance proposals that push companies to lower the thresholds to call a special meeting, for example, that received a lot of support. Uh, And we continue to see plenty of support around shareholder proposals that seek to separate CEO and chairman roles uh, within companies. I think the overall number of shareholder proposals declined from 2017 to 2018. Uh, The SEC is being a bit more liberal about allowing companies to exclude uh, offering no action relief for companies based on um, uh, legal arguments that they can place for, um, uh, for ordinary course of business, for example. But those shareholder proposals that do make it under proxies are going to receive more attention, are going to receive attention from large investors with larger stewardship teams that are going to analyze them instead of just following someone else's recommendation and come up with their own thoughts about them. And companies will want to engage with those investors to make sure that their side of the story is heard.
1: Brian Matt, thanks for joining us today at The Ticker. Thank you, Jeff. Enjoyed it. And that's all for your Ticker podcast this week. My thanks to Ipreo's Brian Matt. Thanks also to SII Director Mark Tuley. You can find out more about the Strategic Investor Initiative and its parent organization, the CECP, on the interwebs. I bet you didn't know actor Paul Newman got all this business started 20 years ago.
2: What we've got here is failure
1: to communicate. Thanks for listening. From the Citadel Securities Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Jeff Cassette.
0: Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities.